Hello and welcome to this MGMA Industry Insights Podcast. I'm Craig Weberg, Senior Editor for MGMA. Today, I'm joined by Steve Dickens, Vice President of Medical Practice Service at SVMIC. Steve will be speaking at our MGMA 2019 Financial Conference in Las Vegas on March 4th, and his session there is titled Employment to Shareholder Contracting and Compensation. Welcome, Steve, and thank you for joining me today. Could you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Oh, well, well, thank you, Craig. Uh, as you said, I work for SBMIC um, as Vice President of our Medical Practice Services Department, which essentially means most of our time is spent doing traditional consultant-type work for the physicians we insure. Um, a little bit different than traditional consulting in that we just tend to kind of get in and get out and deal with problems. My background it includes 25 years in healthcare. care, uh, including 10 years at a hospital in a variety of roles, uh, working with physicians before I led a multi-specialty group for five years and then joined SBMIC in 2008. Uh, I've been very involved with the MGMO, MGMA over the years, both at the state and national level, and had the, the wonderful privilege and opportunity to serve as chair of MGMA ACMPE in 2013-14. That sounds great. Thank you for that, Steve. So I'm going to jump in here and we're going to shape the discussion around this employment to shareholder contracting and compensation session. You know, with all the payment reform and the consolidation in the market, um, compensation plans and employment agreements must evolve to match those needs. Can you talk a little bit about how these plans and agreements have changed and how they've evolved to keep pace? Absolutely. Uh, Traditionally, most compensation plans were based on some form of production, whether it was a straight eat what you kill or whether the physicians had some agreement among themselves about how they divided the fee-for-service reimbursement. But as we see reimbursement shifting from those traditional methods, it's about just more than productivity. Uh, We're also seeing quality coming into play, this idea of value over volume. So we see in many groups that their collections are based not simply on the volume of patients that they're seeing, which was very easy to measure among individual physicians, but it is also being based on different types of capitated plans. Uh, You have ACOs, you have Medicare Advantage, you have different relationships with the commercial payers where they may be getting a per-member fee for some type of care management. And so it becomes much more confusing who actually is generating revenue when it's not on a per-patient, per-visit model. And so the compensation agreements, the models, need to evolve as well to accurately reflect who gets credit for doing what and how do we divide the money that is now coming in and how do we incentivize our physicians to maximize these opportunities for revenue that sounds like it got a lot more complex than straight what you kill to it it did It, it was much easier when you just came to work and did what you were supposed to do and got what you earned for it yeah so um have there been some key elements that have been um, added to the employment agreements or the comp plans? Um, anything specifically that you can talk about, you know, that are new? I know that you've, you know, you, you talked about how to 
you're having to account for and, and attribute different revenues in different ways, but are there any other elements that have been added? Uh, the, the compensation is the primary element, and that's the one that generally gets the most attention. How do we divide that? But there also has been a trend the last several years as well to address physician behavioral issues. Uh, that's something that even five years and certainly 10 years ago, we, we didn't see that being incorporated into agreement. And as the discussion around disruptive or I prefer distressed, uh, distressed physicians has increased, employment agreements is one of the ways that groups and facilities have sought to manage that particular issue. So I'm seeing much more of that now. And also, as we've seen this, this latest swing toward moving from independent to integrated, uh, beginning to see more concern about what that looks like. If I'm an employed physician, if I'm a partner, I want to make sure that my rights are covered in making that transition as well. That makes sense. So you mentioned, you know, the, the partnership agreements and the employed agreements and the, the trend that we're going into, you know, from independence to more of an integrated model. I wanted to talk a little bit about the employed agreements. Um, and specifically, is there a difference between an, an employee agreement for a physician when they're employed by a hospital or a corporation as opposed to those that are employed by an independent group? You see any differentiation there? We do see differences. Uh, employment agreements that are generated from a system perspective, from a hospital or from a large corporation tend to be more sophisticated. They tend to address the elements of behavioral issues, discipline, those types of things. They also tend to take a stronger stance on non-compete and what are the rights of each party if the relationship ends for whatever reason. So facilities and large groups certainly want to protect their interests. And generally, depending on the, the specialty and the, the desire of the facility or corporation to attract a particular physician, we, we usually see less negotiating, less bargaining strength on the part of the physician in those circumstances. Okay, great. So when we're talking about uh, compensation plans and agreements, you know, really what we're coming down to is talking about um, documentation of how to influence physician behavior, whether it be a distressed physician as you're talking or their practice patterns to match um, in, uh, organizational goals. How successful have these new elements in the comp plans and employment agreements been at matching those physician behaviors and practice patterns with organizational goals? Uh, the ability to, to match what is in the agreement with the desired outcome, outcome comes back to an issue of governance. It's one thing to put in a contract, this is what we're going to do, this is what's going to happen if you do this, this, or this. It's another thing to actually enforce it. Physicians historically don't like confrontation. And, and so even though it's in the agreement and we recognize we need to put it there, the ability to be successful in the execution of what the agreement says comes back to the governance. Does the group have a strong board? Does the group have a strong physician leader who is willing to enforce what the agreement says? 
And in those groups that have developed a good executive committee or a good board structure or those that, that have a chief medical officer, those clauses tend to work very well. And oftentimes, what we also see is that even just putting it in everyone's agreement, you get this sense of, okay, I suddenly have become my brother's keeper. So physicians are able to look at one another and say, hey, you know, don't forget this is in your agreement. You know, I don't want to see you get in trouble. So we see a lot of that on an informal method. Uh, and those are really the the key elements to succeeding there, that physicians recognize we're all in this together. This is all in our agreement. I don't want to see my partner get into trouble. And so I'm willing to speak to him or her. And if that doesn't do the job, then that the leaders of the organization are willing to do what needs to be done. And I think there's an important piece in there that you are, were talking about that the employment agreements uh, look to be uniform, uh, regardless yes. of, of what the decision, you know, I have heard in the past of separate comp plans. I don't know about necessarily separate employment agreements, but that consistency is a big part of the effectiveness is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. You are, you are so right. So, um, how, how would administrators uh, know and, and what can they do to assess their current agreements and comp plans to determine if they need to be adjusted? Well, first of all, they, they need to read the agreements. They need to look at the last time they were reviewed or the last time they were updated. And then they really need to go through them with a a close eye on whether the elements are all there and what do the elements say. Um, do the elements, the different categories in the contract, do they protect the practice? Do they protect the physician? And then what's missing? You know, have, you know, do we have a policy on physicians who want to slow down and who want to retire? Because the time to develop that is before we have the discussion. Do we have the elements there? What happens if the physician leaves? Is he or she do they take their records? Do Are they allowed to take employees? What I'll do is I go through the presentation is I'll talk about each of the sections that should be there and the rationale for being there. So what I hope would happen after people have listened to this presentation, they'll go back home with the handout and go through and say, okay, is this here? And does it say what I want it to say? And if it's not there, then take the opportunity to, to go back and revise the agreement and you want to do that with all the agreements and you want to create as much consistency as you possibly can across the organization. And then the administrator needs to set up however they do it, whether it's by their calendar or tickler file or whatever, to review these on an ongoing basis. Um, look at the compensation model. Does it really reflect the way the practice is being reimbursed by the different payers? So, once people leave this presentation, it's really going to be incumbent upon them to go back, to sit down, to take the time and review all those agreements, see what's there and see what's missing. Those sound like some really great words of advice and that session in Las Vegas sounds like it's gonna be really um, helpful when you're well, trying I, to- I, I certainly hope so. Yeah, and you mentioned that you're uh, including a tool. Could you? Talk just a little bit about what that tool will be. Yes. Um, in addition to the PowerPoint, uh, the presentation itself, which will walk through 
all of these elements, uh, attendees will walk away with a sample employment agreement and a sample shareholder agreement. And, you know, laws vary state to state and circumstances vary practice to practice. But what attendees will walk away with is an outline of, okay, these are the things I should be thinking about. And here's examples of how it's been done successfully in other organizations. So even if it's not the perfect fit for them, and, and it's not going to be a perfect fit for everyone, they'll have the information that they need to start the dialogue with their physicians and with their own counsel moving to where they need to be. Okay, well, that sounds great. I think it's going to be a, a great session, and I look forward to seeing it. So thank you, Steve, for sharing these insights. And before we close, I'd like to remind everyone that um, Steve will be speaking at on March 4th at the MGMA 2019 Financial Conference. It's going to be held in Las Vegas in his session, Employment to Shareholder Contracting and Compensation. To learn more about this and joining us in Las Vegas and get registered, go to mgma.com slash events and click on the link that says 2019 events and look for the March events. And you'll get registered right there. So thanks again, Steve, so much. And thank you for sharing your information today. Uh, I hope everyone has uh, enjoys this and we'll see you soon in March. It'll be here before we know it. Thank you, Craig. Look forward to seeing everyone in Vegas.